This is the Photography Podcast on Photography.ca, episode number 125, How Much Post-Processing is Too Much, an interview with Darwin Wiggett and Sam Christenthou. Hey there, photo lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 125th photography podcast on photography.ca. My name is Marco, and as usual, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we're going to talk about how far is too far when it comes to uh, manipulation uh, in our photographs. And it was based on a blog post by uh, Darwin Wiggett. And we're going to talk about this with uh, Darwin and Sam Christenthou from upumu.com uh, in just a sec. But before we get into it, I always like to thank people for their last comments on podcast number 124, where we talked about uh, luminosity masks with uh, Tony Kuiper. If you haven't checked out that podcast yet and you're into post-processing, you may definitely want to check it out because it is a level two post-processing technique, but uh, one that yields incredible results. And I'd like to thank uh, Terry Babbage for his comment directly in the blog, photography.ca forward slash blog. It's our favorite way to get comments. And I'd also like to thank the camera store, the largest camera store in Calgary, Alberta, Canada for sponsoring this podcast. Okay then, well let's just get right into today's podcast. How far is too far when it comes to post-processing? It's a topic that we've touched before in uh, past podcasts and blog entries and on the forum as well, but uh, we've never done a roundtable about it. And it's really nice to get some feedback about this from the Upumu team of uh, Darwin Wiggett and Sam Christenthou. And like I said, uh, Darwin did a post where he posted an owl and a little bird. We're going to talk about that image and uh, manipulation and how far is too far and using other examples. And uh, the interview was a little bit more than 25 minutes. So let's just get right into it now. And so I'd like uh, to welcome uh, two special guests actually to our podcast today. Uh, Darwin Wiggett, he's been on our podcast before, but uh, Sam Chrysanthu, uh, she hasn't been on our podcast before. And both Darwin and Sam are from upumu.com. And they've been gracious enough to uh, tackle a topic with us, which is, you know, how far is too far? But before we get into it, uh, hi, Sam. Hi, Darwin. Thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Marco. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. So basically what got me started um, on this topic was I saw a blog post uh, by you, Darwin, um, where you basically put a picture of an owl and a little bird. And um, I'll, I'll link to it in, in the show notes, of course, so people can see it. And it's it's an awesome photo. <laughs> Super great photo. Could you talk about how that photo was made? Sure. I was... Um going to uh, go jogging with the dog on a country road and driving down the road saw this great gray owl on a fence post and stopped to look at it and it didn't fly away it was actually midday it just kind of looked a bit sleepy on the fence post and so I said well maybe I should just uh, drive back home which is only five minutes away and grab the camera and see if the owl is still there and when I got back it was still there I got out of the car and sat on the edge of the ditch and it's on the fence line just you know, or whatever, 20 feet away or something like that, and started making photos with uh, my camera. I think I had a 300-millimeter lens on. And then partway through, I think I spent an hour with the owl. It didn't fly away, but partway through, a uh, swallow landed on the fence nearby, and both birds kind of looked at each other, but I couldn't get both birds in the frame at the same time because the 300-millimeter lens had too narrow angle of view. Um, and so I took... I had a photograph of the owl, and then I just swung the lens over and made a photograph of the uh, swallow. And then in Photoshop, I put the two together. So they're actually closer in the image 
uh, in the final image than they were in life. I, I guess if I had a 70 to 200 lens or something, I could have zoomed out and actually captured the moment. So that I never try to pass off or suggest that that photo was anything other than a, a montage, but it's kind of a montage that represented something that happened in front of my eyes, but I couldn't capture it with a camera. And like you said, you know, you probably, you know, which is why you did it, you brought them together in Photoshop and the effect is quite striking. You have a, you know, rather large owl looking down at a cute little bird. It's, it's just an awesome image. Everything's tack sharp. It's, it's really, the bird rather is tack sharp. It has a nice um, blurred bokeh background, really lovely. I have to ask because like when you wrote about the photograph, it's almost, you feel as though it's your obligation to tell people that this photo was made in two frames uh, so to speak. Why do you actually feel that it's your obligation to tell people that? Well, a couple of reasons. One is that the um, the birds are actually closer together than they were in life. So, um, you know, the, I guess the story is real, but the presentation isn't what, what was exactly before my eyes. And another thing is with wildlife photography in particular, people have an expectation and a need, I think, to know that wildlife photographs were captured as seen. Um, People aren't really happy. Most nature photographers aren't really happy to see manipulated wildlife photographs. They're not really happy if somebody photographs a wolf, for instance, and then they find out later that it was a captive wolf at a game farm that was trained or something like that. People really want to see their wildlife pictures as as real. And so I guess knowing that, also, also just the fact that I think there's an obligation that if you moved elements around and taken things out and presented something a little differently that and if people could look at the picture and go oh geez that's a great uh, nature shot you should tell the backstory of how how that was made just so people can judge the picture on their own i kind of agree with you and uh, i definitely uh, appreciate your your honesty and forthrightness how do you fulfill that obligation though i mean do you like put an addendum every any time you post it that you know, where you tell people that you know this photograph is is merged or do you just what words do you use to let people know well for that particular photograph when it ever it's been posted on a forum or anywhere it's always the story's always told that it's a, a manufactured photograph so to speak um on the i i for a long time on my uh, uh, website had um Images that were montages, it, it said, always said composite image in the, in the title. And if anybody ever requests an image as a print or somebody requests it as a stock image, then when I, I send it to them, I say, by the way, do you know that this is a composite? So they can make up their mind if they want to buy the picture or not. I guess for you, this is a degree of manipulation. Um, we could talk a little bit about manipulation as well. It's a, it's a fabulous topic in photography. But for you, this degree of manipulation was large enough, in quotation marks, that you had to disclose it, I guess. I don't know if you are an avid um, burner and dodger when you make your prints. Are you an avid dodger and burner? Well, we don't actually do dodging and burning in the traditional darkroom sense or in the traditional digital darkroom sense. We do it a little differently. But yes, we do lighten and darken certain areas of, of a photograph and i do too every single photograph i make i you know i want my you know i'm not so much a nature photographer so i guess i'm a little i have more liberty perhaps with my creative process but even if when i do shoot you know landscapes um every single one is dodged and burned you know every single one some portion of it you know even if it's one percent of the image i, I want to guide the eye a little bit but yet like we don't say that it was dodged and burned we don't say that this photo was manipulated in certain degrees but yet 
you felt obligated to tell people in this case. Could we talk about maybe, you know, the levels of manipulation that people think are are more acceptable than others? And Sam, feel free to chime in anytime for sure. I think in that particular case, it's mostly because you're moving elements around, you're, you're changing perspectives and the distance between things. And when it comes to stuff like dodging and burning, uh, those kinds of things have been accepted in photography for a long time. Really, you're not changing the content or the story or what was seen before your eyes. You're just putting different emphasis on it, so you are directing the, the viewer's eyes a bit. I mean, you know, all of Ansel Adams' famous pictures have high amounts of dodging and burning, and, and they actually are black and white, so they don't look anything like our eye sees them. So um, I, I guess there's also an expectation of black and white that we can suspend belief a little bit that, that it was an as-seen shot. But I, I think adding elements and removing elements for me is, is where you... If you're changing the content in the story, that's where you may wish to let the viewer know. On a curious level, does it matter to you both, or either, or both, feel free uh, to take turns answering, the level of manipulation that was done to a particular image? If you see an image that's fantastic, do you want to know the level of manipulation? And if you find out it was overly manipulated, whatever that means to you, does it bug you a bit? Marco, for me, the reason why we even did this post is we started a series on the blog called The Art and Culture of Photography, and we don't really have the answers to how much manipulation is too much or how far is too far, but we wanted to raise a question and have a discussion about it with our audience. And the reason for that was, I think, the circumstances that Darwin was describing with film um, and the way people viewed film pictures, that it was a little bit harder to manipulate it was important then to disclose things like composites, especially in areas about nature or so-called perceived reality. But now with digital, that's kind of been blown out of the water, and yet there's still these impressions that a photograph is real. And for me, it's not so much that we need to disclose as we need to rethink the debate altogether, rethink the parameters, um, and maybe stop believing so much that photographs are real. Like maybe we're kind of missing the, the, the topic or the issue altogether. I think wildlife photography in particular might be one instance where, I don't know, people may or may not have more of a problem with it. Um, are you finding in your own workshops that people are, are questioning the level of manipulation or is it just people like, like me that, that want to know? No, I think actually the new generation of photographers don't care one whit whether something's manipulated or not. It's, a, it's like a holdover. For them, it's just more an interaction with the image itself. Um, so that's like really where we're, what we're trying to raise with this um, topic, and we'll have more of them coming out from time to time, but really just trying to get off the question of is a photograph real or the value of a photograph is only in its documentary sense, especially in wildlife, then why can't we look at it in terms of how artistic is it, even if it's a picture of an animal? I mean, if it's not in a science manual, why are we concerned with how representative it was of some actual life, real-life event or real-life animal? Why not think of it in terms of the power of the story within the photograph itself. It's a really good point, and, and I like the fact that you're so blunt. It's just like older people that, you know, shot film that are more concerned with manipulation than anything else. That's not exactly what I'm getting at, because I, I wish people thought more. I'm actually, I think I'm probably just being blunt about photographers in general. Like, think a little bit more about what you're seeing, and think a little bit more about your motivations for photographing in the first place. For those younger photographers that, you know, don't have as much of a hang-up, you know, what about things like, you know, filtration, overly filtered photos and, you know, Instagram nature photos? 
does that cross a line? You know, very unreal effects that were just completely made with, uh, you know, either an app or a filter in Photoshop. As there could, there's a strong argument to be made that, you know, this is just art. Photoshop is just a tool. And some people are just saying anything goes. It definitely bothers me a little bit to see too much filtration uh, in a nature scene where it just doesn't look anything like reality. How do you guys feel about that? Dylan's pointing at me. (laughs) (laughs) You're on the roll. Go. Cool. (laughs) Um, For me, it's just a question of how how good is the piece? How good is the art? Whether it was shot with a a smartphone or an $8,000 camera, I don't really care. Um, For me, it's like how much original artistic expression is there from the artist, from the photographer. And if it's just using an algorithm and there's hardly any creative thought, either in the capture itself in the creative time in the field or in the processing, then for me it's just going to be dismissed, really. It's it's a question of how much, kind of how unique is that artistic voice. So whether a nature picture is heavily filtered or not, I don't really care if it looks like real reality. I just want to see something that moves me or touches me some way. And I mean, if the photographer is representing their work as documentary, but they're actually using a lot of different ways that are not connected to reality or they're altering reality. I think that's what we were trying to tease out a little bit is, is that disturbing? And it, that comes though more not, not to um, the capture, but the representation. What's the artist saying about their work? If they do use um, the help of a filter in Photoshop, is it still a photograph? You know, um, and we're talking about the drastic ones here. You know, we, you know, there's there's all kinds of subtlety, and there's the whole gamut from not subtle to overly subtle. Uh, but sometimes we're getting really, you know, oversaturated colors that look nothing like reality that you could never ever do yourself without the help of the computer. Maybe even younger people are are thinking that that's still okay, and I think it's still okay. It's certainly not not okay. It just. I have a hard time with, is that really a photograph anymore? You know, should we be calling photographs photographs when there's so much uh, computer manipulation involved in their production? I personally love the term mixed media, like when that happens. You know, I love good photographs that are done uh, with mixed media. I just have a problem with them being called photographs. Anything holding in that train of thought for you guys? Well, you're kind of jumping ahead of us on our next blog post, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we agree with you. And one of the things we were wondering about is thinking, rethinking the terminology. And I'll let that one wait in here in a second. But one thing we're thinking about is um, whether we should call it photography or whether we should be calling it digital art, just because it's so difficult now to tell um, from an image how much has been done in camera and how much is done on the computer. And there's nothing wrong with either one. It's just that people and the public especially have a presumption that it was done in camera. So there's certain naivety or old-fashioned beliefs in photography as, as a documentary medium. And I think we need to, first of all, get rid of that altogether, but then really rethink it in terms of digital photography. Darwin, did you finish? Yeah, I, I think, you know, to kind of bring it full circle, uh, we don't have a problem at all with how images are created and how heavily manipulated they are or how pure, you know, film capture or something like that. We don't really care how the art was created. The, the end result's what's important. But I think what we do care about and what um, Sam hinted at or you both uh, talked about is whether or not we define these as photographs or, or something else and also more the representation of the person making the image. Um, I think a lot of 
photographers still think they're photographers and represent their images as photographs when actually they're 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 quite manipulated and they should be called digital art and and not just the fact that um, you might have moved a couple of birds around but let's say that you didn't you did a landscape photo and you didn't move anything around at all and you did some dodging and burning and all that kind of stuff but a lot of people change the colors in their images um, beyond what was really there uh, and, and the, the contrast beyond what the human eye sees and, and all kinds of things like that but they they still represent to the public that it's a, just a captured photograph as they saw it and as their camera saw it. When that's not the case. So I think just a lot of photographers are, are fooling themselves into thinking they're actually documentary photographers and they're not documenting what the human eye sees. Maybe they're documenting what they felt about the scene. That's totally fine. It's just that I think people need to look inward and kind of um, see what it is that they're, they're presenting to the public. I really agree with you on, on this point. You know, a few years ago, I actually did a post that was very, very similar. Should we call photographs photographs anymore? Because back in the day, you know, we back in the day, we used to we used to, we knew what they were. They were film based, or you know, in early digital days, they were mostly digital based. But now we're not sure. So I actually totally agree with you, and I like the terminology of both of either photograph or mixed media or you know, some other representation of, of what the actual artwork is, because people still do have an expectation of what a photograph is. One of the things I actually appreciated uh, on the same level, which was inside the blog post that you that you made, uh, the interpretive nature uh, photography post, how far is too far, was someone in the comments said, would you be embarrassed to tell some, well, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but would you be embarrassed to tell someone how the photograph was made? And I think if you are embarrassed, uh, on how the photograph was made, then then that says a lot about how the photograph was made kind of thing. Uh, those people that are embarrassed, maybe they've manipulated too much. Any thoughts? Well, we invited other photographers to contribute to that post and they declined because they didn't want to um, reveal information about their processing. Um, and I'm not, you know, they, they, the reasons were explained why, but to me that I agree with you, Marco, and I hope I didn't hurt your feelings if you feel like you're one of the old guard with my comment. No, no, um, no, not at all, not at all. Good. But yeah, it just, it, I totally agree with that comment that was made. Is if, if, if you are ashamed or embarrassed, if you have an emotional response to sharing how you make your images or where your creative interests lie, then you should examine that in yourself. I mean, if it's just unimportant, then that's one thing. But if you don't want to disclose because you think it would alter how people view your work, then yeah, I think you really do need to inquire into yourself on how you're representing your work. Totally agree. Yeah, there's another interesting kind of aside that that I had in the uh, kind of evolution of self-awareness in, in this topic is I used, I used to always shoot with slide film, um, shot with Velvia slide film, and what you captured in camera is exactly what you got. There was no manipulating afterwards. And, and then I would show the pictures to people and they would always, you know, ask, is it real? And I was always offended. Of course it's real. That's what I captured in front of my camera. That's exactly it, right? But the the interesting thing is, is, you know, Velvia actually has a has a palette kind of like digital. It super saturates greens and it makes purples really off the chart. It, it has a different kind of color palette than the human eye sees. It also has higher contrast than the human eye sees, so things look a lot punchier, plus my choice of, of, of lenses, often a wide-angle lens that exaggerated perspective, the time of day that I went out, really warm light, 
the use of filters to use contrast control, it actually made a scene on film look better than reality, look better than it did to my eye. And I always thought, I'm a documentary photographer. I captured this in camera. It is real. So now take that same idea that you can do all this capture in camera and make it look better than reality and then add this digital darkroom to supercharge reality. And really, we're making a whole bunch of fantasy nature pictures. And that's all cool. That's great. Um, it's just that let's not pretend uh, that we're actually documentary photographers or that we're showing it as we saw it because... I naively thought I was showing it as I saw it with Velvia. Now I know with digital, ain't no way that's the way I saw it. I make things look better than they look to li in, in life, and that's just part of my artistic um, like a statement or, or, or the way I see things. I see things with rose-colored glasses. <laughs> well, and your images are, are, are lovely, so, you know, uh, we definitely know that. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Just teasing, just teasing. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's, so that's it, you know, like just, just making a photograph is manipulation because the world is in three dimensions and a photograph is in two. And so, yeah, you, you were manipulating even with Velvia. I guess we're always still manipulating it in some way. What bothers me a little bit still, I'm a bothered guy in this podcast, are, and, and you just uh, touched on it as well, you know, people say, well, this is what my eye saw. And ugh, I'm not convinced that that's really what their eyes saw in all cases. I'm talking, you know, with a lot of, let's say, um, super saturated HDRs. Um, we've talked about HDR before, and it's totally a great way to, to um, either process photos realistically or not realistically. Um, you, can, you can have your way with HDR. Some people will say, well, this is what my eye saw. Are you encountering this as well, partially, or is this only my thing? Well, I think, I think we see, uh, I mean, there's this, this idea that the camera, the digital camera and the film camera can't capture the, the range of tonal contrast that the human eye can capture, so that now you have a process where you can take all those tones and jam them into a, into a photograph and say that this is seeing like the human eye sees, but it actually isn't because we're, our eyes are darting around and looking at points and, and then they go from a light area to dark area and they assemble the stuff in our brain. So it's, it's really hard to, I don't know, if the term photorealistic HDR, what that really means. Um, I think there's, there's HDR that's pleasing to look at, and there's HDR that's kind of a little out there. For, and then it's all personal taste. Some people just love the, the grungy-looking, over-processed HDR. Um, you do. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, subjects, there's subjects that it lends itself well to, and it adds to the story. And there's, I think when it's problematic is where... The technique detracts from the photograph. The technique is, is more obvious than the subject or the story. That's where it's problematic. I'm just going to add that in one of our uh, talks that we do when we're teaching about how to capture story and images, we ask students to think about does this add or subtract to the story or is it just an ornamentation? Am I just doing this, cranking the slider or racking my pixels through the ringer here just to have something look cool? Because most of the time we're not trying to capture the cool effect. If we're artists, we're you know kind of moving beyond that. So yeah, is this just an ornamentation, or is it actually part of the story? Yeah, I like that, and um, I find that like what Darwin mentioned a few minutes ago, landscapes are are looking nicer and nicer. They're just I'm seeing more beautiful landscapes in the past five ten years than I think I've ever seen, and uh, some of them yeah they're they're whacked, but some of them are like you know what I I think maybe I have been in one of 
two of these magic spots, and it really was something like this. I'm finding when photographs are are expressed in you know a sort of real way, a pseudo real way, um, you know, you know, Darwin, you were saying you make fairy tale images, but they're but they're gorgeous. They're more gorgeous than than they used to be, I think. And and I think we have to thank you know in some ways technology. I know you still do a lot of work with filters, Darwin. But I think in a, in a lot of ways we, we we have to thank technology in a way for for allowing us to have the ability to make our photographs more gorgeous and more gorgeous. I just did um, a podcast just um, a week or two ago with um, a guy named Tony Kuiper who does lumin- luminosity masking. So he captures the tones, but he he captures the tones in his scene, but he's developed a way to bring those tones out in the uh, post processing. And I just think that's fabulous. I like, I, I love seeing that. I love seeing, you know, all these new tools to be used as more tools rather than, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, rather than bells and whistles or frills. That's, that's such a huge, powerful thing for me that these tools are so available to have you express your own vision in a better way than you could five or 10 years ago in, in, in a way. And um, I'm wondering if, and I think we'll probably end on this note, but I, like, I'm wondering if you also agree with just the power that technology is giving us to express ourselves creatively. I think you really hit on something there, Marco. And um, for me, it's not so much the power as the, the array, the sheer different ways that people can be creative with this technology and how much easier it is. I mean, the threshold is really lowered. So I think we also see a lot of people getting in there playing and they're maybe not being as artistic or creative as they could be because they're just beginning and they're, they're blown away by the power of the, the technology and they're excited about it. And maybe later on, if they continue on that path, then they start to think more creatively. At least that's what we see in our workshops. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, just, it's an incredible time to be an artist. At the same time, you'll see a lot of people, because that threshold is so much lowered, playing around with things and we get some of the more kind of garish work or not as thoughtful work out there. But at the same time, there's so much opportunity to go along that path and be a real true artist. I agree, of course. I think I'm good with my questions. Do you guys want to add anything? I think people still, they don't really make a distinction between the two. And yet, I think that's one of the threads that runs through this whole debate. Yeah, they, they use a camera. Um, so therefore, they classify themselves as a photographer, although they may really, they're, create, they're creative um kind of look, if they have a style or a, or a vision, often comes from the, the work in the computer rather than in the camera. Yeah, so are they photographers? Pixels yeah. in, the, in the field, really. Pixel harvesters. Pixel harvesters. Pixel yeah. harvesters. I like that. I like that. Are, are you encountering some, I, I'm assuming you are, where you're encountering photographers that have little or no photography understanding? They just have really a lot of Photoshop understanding? So their cameras are, they don't understand photography, but they understand Photoshop? Is that what, are you finding people like this? Not, not so much. Um, I think the people who are really good on the computer are good photographers or at least good at capturing pixels because they need to get the best data in the field. So they really have to know what they're doing in the field. It's more in terms of where do they feel excited? Where are they creative? Mm-hmm. And they're very creative on the computer. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. I think a lot of people are super creative on the computer, whereas, you know, people that started with with only a camera, uh, maybe we place you know more value on the camera and less value on the computer. Whereas if you're starting today, you're likely placing more value on the computer. I think we're seeing it over and over again. Whether that's right or, or wrong, I don't know. But I think we're seeing like 
tremendous emphasis on the computer. Yeah, but but people still they don't think in their mind that they are digital artists. They still call themselves a photographer, and it's like I think it would be helpful if we stop being so rigid in our thinking about photography and just where am I creative? Where do I get excited? And and just call yourself that, right, or whatever label you want to put on. But I think people misrepresent themselves when they're very creative on the computer, but they actually don't really they're not creative in the field. To me, that like if you were saying earlier that there there is a bit of a distinction between when you're creative with your camera in the field capturing light and when you're creative on the computer moving data around for your expression. I like that. I like that. I like that summary. And uh, I think we can end with that. Um, for anyone that you know doesn't know, uh, Darwin and Sam, uh, they run upumu.com and there's all kinds of articles and blogs and they do workshops. You should definitely check out their site. Um, Sam and Darwin, I really appreciate you doing this. And um, as always, I hope we can do it again in the future. Thanks, Marco. Thank you. You take care. And I'd like to thank Darwin and Sam from upumu.com uh, one more time for having that uh, roundtable discussion with me and getting some uh, stuff off our chests. If you're interested in the concept of spending less time uh, behind the computer and more time in front of the camera, uh, you may want to check out a Darwin and Sam's new book, Seven Quick and Dirty Processing Shortcuts for Lazy Photographers. It's about 100 pages, and you should know that Darwin and Sam use Photoshop and Bridge as their main post-processing tools. I'd like to thank the Camera Store again for sponsoring this podcast. The Camera Store is a full-line dealer for an entire range of photographic equipment and supplies. Whether you are a leading professional or new to photography, their expert staff are always ready to assist you in finding the perfect equipment at great prices. This will be our last photography podcast of the year, and I'd like to thank you, dear sweet listeners, for uh, tuning in uh, podcast after podcast and submitting uh, comments and suggestions. Please feel free to continue doing so in the future. Photography.ca at gmail.com will get you in contact with me really quick for any uh, suggestions or advice you may have. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and for sharing their knowledge on the forum and for participating in our community. And if you've learned a thing or two from our podcast this year, that makes me really Really, really happy and the way you can pay me back is just by getting out there and keep on shooting happy new year everyone thanks so much for listening <laughs>